This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. We are on episode number 143. I am Michael Citro, the Founder and Managing Editor of TheMainland.com, SB Nation's site covering Orlando City SC, the Orlando Pride, and Orlando City B. Joining me as always, my co-host up in Tallahassee, Florida, David Rowe. Dave, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, of course, it's uh, last week of the month and in my car business, that means I've been busy, busy, busy. So you probably haven't seen as much as me as usual, but uh, hey, we're here now. I haven't seen as much of anybody as usual because I am still undergoing repairs and painting and uh, boxing up of stuff as we prepare to put our house on the market. So it ah, is yes. non-stop. I got my first taste of power washing this past weekend. And, um, Did you like it? Uh, I didn't care for it all that much. It's very <laughs> hot and humid outside in Florida. I don't know if you're aware uh and uh, yeah yeah the um yeah the the uh the weather was too hot and crappy and um i had it was a big job because um it has never been done in the 12 years that i've lived here and uh, we have one of those uh, brick uh walkway and driveways that uh, you know stuff gets down in the crevices so i kind of was i was wearing shorts but it looked like i was wearing brown pants by the time i got <laughs> No, no sense of accomplishment uh, when you could like when you're halfway done and you could see how much cleaner one side was than the other. Oh, it looked nice. It was just a, so much of a pain in the rear end. I still actually have a little corner still to do because um, we have like this natural um, low spot uh, at the corner of our walkway where everything kind of the water just kind of pulls up. Pulls down there, yeah. So um, I still got to go and, and finish that. So. Uh, not looking forward to that. And of course that area, which had mud, of course the, um, the landscapers trudged through it on Monday and, uh, tracked it all up my nice clean walk. Of course they did this, this week on cars and home improvement. Yeah. So sorry to bore everybody to death, but you know <laughs> what? You did just watch a nil nil draw on Saturday, so you should be used to it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is the nil-nil draws of podcasts. That's, <laughs> that's what nothing, this is. Right. It's 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 it happens, but it's oddly unsatisfying. Yes, and you don't, we don't even you don't even get a point out of this. No, there's no there's definitely no point out of this one. No reward whatsoever. All right, Dave. So let's talk a little bit about the Houston Dynamo's visit to Orlando City Stadium. Of course, the um, the Lions have never actually had a player score a goal against the Houston Dynamo or against either MLS Texas team nope. that Orlando City has to its credit against either FC Dallas or the Houston Dynamo was scored by Dynamo goalkeeper Tyler Derrick back in 2015. And that trend continued as the the Dynamo were content. They came in, they, they played their typical road game where they try to sit back and counter. Um, 
I thought Orlando City did a, a, a really good job of not allowing too many dangerous counters. There were there were one or two iffy ones, but um, you know, for the most part, it was a lot um, better than what we've seen, especially against uh, Houston on the road last year. But uh, the first thing that stuck out to everyone is starting goalkeeper Adam Grinwis making his MLS debut. There was a lot of ginger in goal. That's true. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what was your thought? Your your first thought on seeing Adam Grinwis was what? Uh, holy crap! It's Adam Grinwis. <laughs> it was, and it was it was like, oh my gosh! Uh, and then it was like, okay, cool. Let's you know, let's see what happens. Um, it's uh, and and as we saw, it ended up being you know not too shabby. Um, and uh, you know, it was. I I think it was as has been reported that O'Connor is going to try to get results, but with an eye towards next season. And one of those things that he can do is stick at him in goal and see what he's got there. Yeah. It's a tough situation all year for Grin was coming in, knowing he's the third keeper trying to compete with uh, Earl Edwards jr. For backup role, Earl Edwards jr. For a while took the starting role from Joe Bendick. And that kind of probably didn't make two things too much easier for Adam, but, um, you know, we, we noticed he was on the bench the last game, and uh, so maybe not a total shocker because it wasn't like, you know, Joe stood on his head or anything yeah. in that game. In fact, had a, a pretty bad giveaway in the Chicago game. So you got a sense that it could happen, and we hadn't seen uh, Adam. And it I didn't really know what to expect, but I tell you, he, he played very well. I mean, he wasn't tested. Again, the the, the the Orlando City defense played quite well against the counterattacking style of, of the Dynamo, largely because, oh my goodness, what is that? The starting back line is intact? What? Yeah, it's crazy what can happen when you actually have your four starters across the back line. And, um, you know, so we see that back line, it was uh, Sutter on the right, El Munir on the left, and Sané and Spectre in the middle. And um, that enabled... O'Connor to push uh, Carlos Asquez back up to defensive mid along with side uh, Oriel Rossell. Uh, and so, you know, Yuri and uh, Carlos uh, shielded the back line very well. They mm-hmm. protected the fullbacks extremely well. They played, uh, so, you know, with some width. And then, you know, Yoshimar Yotun or Will Johnson or somebody would, would drop back and, and almost make it, um, you know, almost make it a, a 4-3 uh, rather than the 4-2-3-1. And uh, it was it worked very well, and Orlando City uh, defended well. Grinwis didn't have to. He only I think he had three saves. Only one of them was very difficult. And um, you know, 15 minutes in, he nearly got. Uh, he nearly had the howler. He had uh, uh, a ball played forward from Houston. He took a touch to get it into the box, and then went down to cover it. Kind of misjudged uh, Romel Kyoto's uh, speed a little bit. Kyoto swept in, took it away from him, and scored. But kicked it out of uh, Adam's hands, as it turned out. Video review showed that uh, Adam was correct when he said, hey, uh, what the heck, I, I had the ball. Uh, and the, 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 it went to review, and the review said, yeah, no goal. Yeah, because uh, you're not allowed to do that. Now, the only person that's allowed to do that is Dominic Oduro. Uh, he was allowed to do that uh, in 2015 and scored a goal in Orlando City Stadium as a result. I would... Uh, do you remember who was uh, refing that game? Because I'd be really curious. Uh, not without looking it up, and I—I'm I, going to be honest. I'm just too lazy to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like an uncle thing. That's all. 
Yeah, I'm. I don't recall if it was him. I. I and I don't either. I'm just. I, I don't. I don't know. And I'm. I wouldn't even hazard a guess. I'm, I'm, I mean, the the odds are it wasn't him because just from sheer percentages standpoint. But uh, it could have been. Uh, so anyway, that uh, goal didn't happen and uh, ended up being a foul on Kyoto instead. And, um, you know, Bullet dodged and, and really Grinwitz did a good job of settling down after that. Didn't really allow anything. Saw one shot in the first half, which was right at him. Um, one shot on target, I should say. Came right at him from distance. No problem for him. Um, second half, he had to make a very, very difficult save on a 1v1 again against Kyoto. Uh, got in behind the defense, and that was maybe the only real time that, that Houston was able to get a man in behind uh, the defense. It was a an offensive third turnover. I think, um, I believe Yotun was passing for somebody that maybe either wasn't ready for it or just kind of didn't come to the ball, and it was picked off and uh, ignited a quick one pass over the top for Kyoto. But, uh, you know, credit Grinwis. He noticed Kyoto took a heavy touch with his first touch, came out off his line, and was able to make himself big, make the save. Uh, the ball came back out to Tomas uh, Martinez, who uh, tried to put it in as uh, Grinwis scrambled back into position. But Spectre was there to nod it away, and that was really Houston's only decent chance to score in the game. Um, they looked like they could, though, uh, be a little bit dangerous on set pieces from time to time. But really, that was it as far as the really top quality goal scoring chances for the visitors. It was. And uh, I'd also note that uh, Adam did a good job of, of coming out, coming off his line, coming out of uh, goal to uh, head off, you know, balls that were coming in, you know, rather than sit back and, and wait for things to develop. So um, and some of those should be obvious ones, but it, it hasn't felt that way this year with. Uh, various keepers and including Joe who for whatever reason um, you know went backwards this year so um, it was I, I remember this because I remember commenting oh look at that he came out and got the ball that's excellent yeah coming out and getting the ball is excellent getting the ball is what you should do if you're a goalkeeper I recommend it it's better than not so uh, you know on the other end uh, Orlando City didn't really trouble um you know, Joe Willis very often, uh, he only had to make a couple of saves himself and, you know, really a, a disappointing night in terms of scoring chances. Uh, there were a couple chances, um, to go back post that were just a bit wide. Yotun had one or two of those and, uh, maybe El Munir, if I'm remembering correctly, just missed the back post. There was a, another ball into the middle that, uh, Kleshin got his toe on and, and sent that just wide. So there were a few opportunities there that were missed. Uh, never really much of a game. Um, but I would say it was probably more entertaining than the nil-nil draw the last time the Dynamo came when, when Bobby Murphy was interim coach for the first time. And, yeah. Uh, it ends up being a point for the home team. And not mathematically eliminated from playoff contention yet, but essentially eliminated from playoff contention because they would need to win the rest of their games, have a bunch of other teams lose a bunch of games, and then make up like a 20-some-odd goal differential. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying laugh. there's I, a chance. <laughs> I laugh so that I don't cry. I'm sorry, folks. I, I don't mean to make light of a really terrible season, but really, what else can you do? Yeah, we can, like you said, laugh or cry. And as listeners know, we usually choose to laugh because otherwise it would be a really, really depressing podcast. We've laughed, we've cried, we've kissed hundreds of dollars goodbye. That we have. That's, uh, that's the 2018 Orlando City season in a nutshell. Um, 
What do you say, Mr. Rowe? Who's your man of the match from a nil-nil draw between the Dynamo and the Lions? You know, it, uh, there was actually there was quite a few players that played well, mostly on the defense. Um, and so that made it a little bit more difficult this week than usual. Um, it, for me, it came down to um, Lamine Sané or uh, Carlos Eskus. I'm going to give Askews the uh, the nod for myself. Just um, that pass that he made to Kleschen uh, in the first half was very, very nice. Um, he had excellent passing percentage, and um, it was it was nice to see him, you know, in that role rather than you know subbing in on the back line. So for me, uh, I'm giving it to Carlos. Yeah, very good passing night for Carlos. Uh, very good uh, night defensively. He, uh, he really looks comfortable in that defensive midfield. Um, I thought, I mean, obviously, Grinwis is the sentimental favorite. A lot sure. of people picked him in our poll. I did the grades this week, and I think he was a runaway winner in the poll because, uh, you know, he gets the shutout as his first. It's a very sentimental pick, but he didn't really have that much to do. Um, so I had a hard time giving it to him, and I ended up giving it to Lamine Sané because you saw what he can be finally. And uh, he he paired well with Specter. He did a great job covering for El Munir when El Munir got beat. Um, he always seemed very active. He'd poke the ball away uh, whenever you know Houston started to, to mount some kind of a threat. He was usually the guy clearing it out. And um, you know, great night for Lamine, and it's good to see him back on the field finally. Absolutely. Um, I think in the poll, uh, yeah, you're right. Adam ran away with it with 40 something percent, but. Um, uh, I believe Carlos and, and Lamine were the, the second two vote getters. So um, it, it would seem to me that the readers are pretty well on board with uh, our interpretation of the, the man of the match and, and those who played well. Yeah, I mean, Adam would have been my pick for sure if he would have, you know, had to make five or six saves or, so, or if maybe if he had a little bit more to do. But uh, I thought the back line kept him clean, and that was really uh, the deciding factor for me, mm -hmm. especially when you looked at the way that Sané played. And, uh, you know, Spectre called out um, Rossell and Asquez after the game as, uh, as being a, a big part of that shutout as well. So uh, well done basically from everybody uh, from the defensive midfield back on the night. I thought that there were – some struggles in the in the offensive half uh, with um, particularly I thought Yoshi was a bit off. I thought that question was still doesn't look like he's recovered fully from his injury. And, um, you know, James O'Connor didn't really roll the dice much in terms of uh, getting a replacement out there. He went with uh, Stefano Pino and um, taking off question. And it wasn't. Um, it wasn't the magic bullet. No, and it's <laughs> as much as I liked it when uh, we we signed Pino. Uh, you know, a lot of that based, of course, on what he did uh, in USL and in particular against Orlando City. NASL. NASL, excuse me. Uh, but in particular, uh, what he did to, to Orlando City um, in the Open Cup match, it's unfortunately has not translated uh, this season in purple. So um, I'm. Hopeful that, you know, if he sticks around, he can develop more. But uh, right now, it's just it's not there, unfortunately. Yeah, it may just be a confidence thing. It's it's really hard to say. It's it's when some guys can make that next step to the next level and some can't. He's a two time golden boot winner at, you know, at the division two, essentially a division two level uh, in this country. You would think that he would have more 
uh, to offer offensively than what we've seen, especially after he scored a goal in the, the opener. Uh, but it, it hasn't been a great season for Stefano, and it's it's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to say if he'll be a depth player next year or if he'll even be here. But, uh, you know, this is the time of year when you start wondering what the roster is going to look like next year. And we're not not sure if old Stefano is going to be around, especially now with, um, you know, Jason Christ is gone and he's the one essentially who brought him in. And James O'Connor will have different ideas of who he can bring in. And if you're going to bring in a guy from division two, there's a guy up in Louisville. That's a very well acquainted with James O'Connor. His name's Cameron Lancaster. I think he's the golden boot leader at this point, um, having a great season. So he's a guy who, who you might, uh, you might see, uh, coming in next year in that role of let's see if this guy can make it to the next level. Another guy that is like that is Dane Kelly, who I for years thought Orlando city should maybe take a chance on, um, cause he was just tearing up the USL this year. He went to DC United and hasn't really seen the field much. So, uh, I think in fact, I, I believe he just got a goal in a friendly the other night, uh, for DC and it was his first goal for United. If I, if I'm remembering. That sounds right. Yeah. I think I remember reading that. So anyway, that will do it for Orlando city portion of our uh, show because they don't play this weekend. Dave, we have a merciful weekend off with no lions to watch. Um, you know, it's always fun to watch them, but it's always uh, also good to relax and know that they will not be losing this week. And that means that you guys don't have to listen to us pick the wrong score. Yeah, there'll be no uh, there'll be no preview this week. We'll come back next week and we'll we'll have next week. We'll have no recap, but we'll have a preview. So it'll be kind of a that's how we're working this. <sighs> All right, Dave. Well, there is more news from the club, of course. Mm-hmm. Um Orlando Pride, very, uh, very happy to note that uh, star forward midfielder Marta uh, has won her sixth FIFA Player of the Year award. Um, you know, the, a, a lot of eyebrows raised because people think of this Pride season, but the FIFA window for this award is, um, you know, middle of the year 2017 to middle of the year 2018. And uh, in that period... Marta helped get uh, Orlando Pride into the playoffs. Uh, she was, in my opinion, the league's MVP. I know it went to, to Sam Kerr, and I can't really argue too much about her, but, you know, Sam won the golden boot. But I thought Marta overall had a, a more overall um, well-rounded year for the Pride than, than Kerr had. Um, and then Marta went to, uh, to Copa America Femenina and helped her team win the uh, win the tournament there, get into the World Cup. And then uh, before the cutoff this year, she played two NWSL games, score a goal in both of them. So uh, uh, quite a year for Marta. I'm not going to say she's not deserving. Of course, Sam Kerr did deserve to be a finalist and was not, uh, which is too bad because what Sam did with both in the NWSL Indeed. Beyond reproach. I mean, she she had a, a, a terrific year and was certainly one of the three best, if not the best player in the world. So shame on FIFA for leaving her out. But uh, two Lyon teammates were the other finalists and Marta swooped in and got number six. Well, I can't be anything but happy about this. Obviously, I agree with you on all the stuff you said about Kerr. Obviously, she is one of the best players in the world right now, and um, I'm sure we'll be in these discussions going forward. So even though it it didn't happen this year, it wouldn't surprise me um, if she gets a couple down the road. Um, And and you're right. For those who are are 
wondering about this, um, go back and look at the time frame in which the FIFA votes were supposed to be uh, taking things into account. And that's why uh, Marta won it. Um, were there others uh, that were worthy? Of course. That's why there's multiple, you know, uh, people up for the award. And uh, we're just happy uh, as Orlando Pride fans that uh, Marta got it uh, and got her sixth one. I mean, just talk about adding to the legend. Um, you know, that's 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 a lot. <laughs> yeah, six times being named player of the world is uh, pretty good. Yeah, opinion. I don't think either of us have done anything that quite reaches that level. I haven't been anything in the world best anything in the world even one time not even best michael citro i i probably would come in second dang that hurts probably be runner up (laughs) um i'd be happy just to be nominated as they say thank you like to thank the academy (laughs) yeah uh so congrats to marta that's that's fantastic um if you haven't noticed yet we've been uh, running our uh orlando pride season in review player grades uh, on the site over at mainland.com. So we've uh, we've done a few so far. We've done Rachel Hill um, and uh, Christine Nairn and Sydney LaRue. We've got some coming up, some more coming up. So, um, you know, check those out if you're a Pride fan and, and, you know, weigh in with your comments because it's a pretty mediocre season for the Pride and you're going to see a lot of that reflected yeah. in the grade. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, <laughs> there, obviously there's internal voting and, and Michael's right. There's been a lot of meh. Yeah, we we, we we the one co- cool thing though that we we did discuss we we talked we talked about Sam Kerr earlier and how she wasn't even uh, M- MVP of the league last year or this year she won the Golden Boot both years and again you know they have an award for scoring the most goals but I I can't argue with Lindsay Horan being named MVP because she did so much more than score goals for mm-hmm. the Thorns she played defense she got assists she was dangerous on set pieces she was really kind of a jack of all trades for the thorns and help them uh get into the to the final and um you know kerr did a good job of helping chicago get uh to the playoffs but i mean really you just unplug Kristen press and plug in sam kerr and the red stars really didn't have much different from last year to this year yeah and you know good for them for being able to do that but uh uh you're right uh haran has been um Phenomenal, uh, and not just for club, but for country as well. So um, it's uh, it, she's one of those players that we wish we didn't have to play against, but uh, we're happy when she's wearing the red, white, and blue. She's exactly the kind of player that I, I really would love to see on the Pride. Not not necessarily, you know, taking her from the thorns, but that's what the Pride needs is more grit. And Haran is a gritty player. Oh, yeah. She's not afraid to mix it up. She's not afraid to get her, her nose dirty, uh, be physical, um, be hard to knock off the ball. She's you know plays with high quality and a, and a high motor. And it's it's good to see. And that's exactly what Orlando could use. Um, you know, I think that part of the problem with the Pride, they were, they were too passive this year and too, and really for the second straight year. But I think this year, um, when you lacked some of that scoring finish and other teams are sort of on to you uh, in a very, very tight league where there is not a lot of difference between, you know, maybe teams two through six, seven, um, you know, that's going to come back and bite you and it come back and bite bit them and it bit. Uh, Tom Sermani, and he uh, is out of a job as a result. But uh, speaking of the Pride, Dave, uh, one of the people that we've already done their grade is Rachel Hill. She has returned to Perth glory in the W League, 
and hopefully she will get her uh, scoring boots back on and uh, have another great season for Perth like she did last well, year. Well, either that or she doesn't and keeps the scoring boots in the closet and then pulls them back out when she comes back to the Pride because, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, good for Perth, but I, I want her scoring goals for us. Yeah, I just want to see her get back in, get her confidence okay. back, and get back into, uh, get back into the groove. All right, as long as know? she stays in the groove, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she came back. Part of the problem with Rachel, she came back with a groin injury that kind of nagged at her all year, and it it, it kind of held her back. There were times when she was out of the lineup uh, as a result of it, and you know, even playing with it, probably she wasn't a hundred percent all season. It's it's difficult for her. Um, you know, for these women who are trying to make a living doing this to play in one league and then go play in another league. And then that league ends, you come back and play the first league again. And it's there's really no break. There's no off season. You're just constantly doing it. And then Rachel, of course, is also in the mix in the, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, women's setup in, uh, you know, the younger, the U23s and U20, you know, uh, that level. So she's playing a lot of soccer. And I think that that affects yeah. her. I think it affected Lana Kennedy, Kennedy, who we came to find out she had some problems with her feet. She just had surgery on both yep. of her feet. Um, so that could have affected her season as well. And, um, yeah, it would be great if the W League would end and then maybe a month before the NWSL so they, they would have a little bit of time to rest and recuperate and uh, – you know, before heading into the preseason. But we'll see how it all shakes up. The season is going to be screwed up next year anyway because of the Women's World Cup. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they split up the games because, uh, you know, typically in the past for this kind of thing, they're, they're given like three weeks off to the entire league. But because the teams that go there need to prepare for the tournament, the players are gone. The internationals are gone for like two yeah. months. And that's what happened in 2015 with the Olympics. So. You're, you're right. It'll um, be interesting. Uh, the other thing real quick I thought of, um, you know, you were saying it would be nice if there was a month break in between W League and NWSL. Another possibility is we simply pay the players enough so that they don't have to go from league to league just to make a living. If you listen to this podcast and you own a very large corporation – and would like uh, to sponsor the NWSL, please contact Amanda. And if you have a very large corporation and you have enough money to sponsor the NWSL, we would also like you to put a little money towards the mainland podcast. We require much less money than the NWSL. Yes, we require less, but we will accept. Oh, most certainly. <laughs> uh, okay, and, and and you don't have to own no. a large corporation. If you want to sponsor, you want to sponsor us, just hit me up at the mainland at gmail com, and we will definitely uh, plug the hell out. Of at, yeah, you think? Or, yeah, you think we talk about nicely about somebody who does a, a five star review? Just imagine if you were to sponsor us. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that I think does it for the bulk of our news, Dave. We're going to get into a very special guest. We're going to talk a little bit about Orlando City B's return in the USL at the Division Three level, the OCB. I believe that announcement came the week that uh, we had our technical issues a couple yep. of weeks ago. And we talked about OCB returning, and nobody heard a word of it. But uh, OCB is coming back. They're going to play at Montverde Academy. Uh, they're going to be a very uh, young developmental side. It's going to be sort of a bridge between, um, you know, the, the high school uh, level and, uh, co you know, college age slash professional age. Uh, and it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see how that comes together, how the community 
response to OCB, you know, what kind of attendance we'll see. All of that's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about some of that and about promotion relegation and about a few other things with our special guest. We'll get to that right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're very happy to have with us uh, the USL Senior Vice President of Division Three, Stephen Short. Stephen, thanks for being with us on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to start out, uh, of course, we're very excited that Orlando City B is returning, um, you know, the developmental side for Orlando City Soccer Club. And I just wanted to get a sense of how long it was in the works between um, – you know, the first rumblings of, of OCB returning as a Division Three side and uh, and the, the the official announcement. Wow, I don't even know if I can pull the exact date. I, I can tell you that it, it had been a while. So, you know, when Orlando City B decided to take a year off of USL and all that was kind of, I think, to set the stage for long-term planning for the team, um, you know, it probably coincided perfectly with where we were with moving USL up to Division Two at the time and realizing there was going to be a void beneath USL in division three. And I'm sure you've heard at that time, you know, we really started turning the wheels, if you would, of the idea of, well, we're in a great position to launch USL division three and, and really take what we've learned, um, at division, you know, for the teams that were in division three that moved up to division two and really apply a lot of those best practices into the league and how we can make that better. So I, I believe, those conversations while we've been having them for a while with Orlando City and as a whole, um, pretty much work in parallel with each other. One certainly didn't cause the other. Um, I think it was the fact that the organization as, and the club as a whole were you know, really trying to figure out where they wanted to go um, with the second team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked out well that we were launching USL Division Three, and, uh, you know, we're excited to have them back. And I can attest that many of the teams they'll be playing against, some that we've announced and some that we haven't, are excited to see the Orlando City brand come to their city. One thing I'm interested in as as um, as a soccer fan is the you know the MLS two sides in USL and I'm just curious as to to what you've discovered uh, over the last few years in terms of why those teams seem to to draw so poorly even teams that are very competitive uh, in the league I know Orlando City B made the playoffs their first year New York Red Bulls too has had great success what seems to be the the sticking point with with getting fans out to those particular games when you don't have such problems at uh, you know other places like Cincinnati and, and places like that you know I think we continue to try to figure that out I mean, for each club it's completely different OCD played downtown you know, right in a beautiful stadium for several games, I think, in the USL. And so it's right in the heart of everything. And I think you get to the point where uh, being right downtown for the same fan, maybe it was, it, we, we have, there's a lot more soccer to consume, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. So maybe a lot of people that couldn't get first team tickets could, you know, start at OCB and continue to, if there was a waiting list or not, work their way into the club. But for me, I, I think it's an exciting opportunity, especially seeing what the club is doing by moving to Montverde having lived in Orlando and the Kissimmee area and even on the north side of town for a little bit was to see these different pockets of communities around the city. And I like what the club was looking to do with tapping into a market that, um, you know, if you live in Mount Verde, the Claremont area, and you work downtown, once you come home, you're probably not going back downtown. 
Uh, and that's, that's not an easy journey. So the way I see that, it's an opportunity for them to really take the game to the fans rather than the fans coming to the game. Uh, it's a neat approach. I know that they're really methodically looking at how can we make sure it's a great atmosphere, not only for the players, but for the fans in that area. And, and I'm sure that they're hoping a lot of the supporters groups come out too and really create that atmosphere that people want to be a part of it. Were there any lessons learned from the – the beginning of OCB, uh, starting out over in Melbourne and uh, and then moving downtown, was there anything you could take away from that that's that sort of helped uh, this this you know the decision making process with with moving to Montverde and all that uh, you know come to fruition? Um, there certainly is, and I know the club has probably had the bulk of those, and I think a lot of that is realizing that you still have to put a lot of emphasis on local marketing and being out in the community and engaging and just not expecting people to show up. Um, you know, the whole build it and they will come mentality doesn't work. And we share that with a lot of our team owners and um, and even their fans and their front offices to understand that, yes, there's a lot of great affordable night of entertainment. You're going to see some great players. You're going to see some great soccer from not only Orlando, but from around the country. And when it comes to town, it's all about getting that message out of, you know, is it how is it affordable is it? And how do you get to the stadium? What's the easiest way to get there? When are the games being played? And, it's really about tying into those communities and as cliche as it always sounds. And it really does sound cliche. We always say that the club has to invest in the community before then they should expect or even see the community invest in the club. And, and part of that is I'm sure monetarily, but a lot of the time and effort that the players are there doing community service and that, you know, they can see that this is their club too. It's not just the club looking for a, a field or something like that. So we're excited to see the club, how they operate in the area and, take that out into the Claremont and the Montverde area and see those fans. And, you know, maybe we'll see a future player for Orlando city come to their first pro soccer match out there. And maybe it's years down the road, but to see that type of impact would be amazing. You brought up an interesting point when you talked about uh, the clubs investing in their communities and, you know, what, what sense do you have of the MLS um, teams that have, uh, that are operating uh, either D2 or D3 teams, uh, in terms of what they're what they're willing to do, what they're able to do in terms of marketing specifically for the USL sides, I think one of the strengths that you're certainly going to see is truly the power of the first team. Uh, where if you look at a lot of the new USL Division Three teams, it's a single entity, if you would, right? It would be the Greenville Triumph or the South Georgia Tormenta. Um, they don't have another club and the resources like an MLS team would. So um, the reach is certainly more expansive, um, but usually that, that comes with a little bit more tape at times, too, to, to work through. And so I think when you look at what could be there, there's a tremendous opportunity. It's just about tapping into that, making sure it's done right and it's authentic. It's not just uh, ad hoc, if you would. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I want to change gears a little bit, ask you a little bit more about the USL as a whole. Um, obviously, the you know, great success for the USL in terms of, of seeing clubs like Orlando City, like FC Cincinnati, take that next step and get to the top flight. How does the league, meaning the USL, view these these things? On the one hand, it's a big accomplishment. On the other hand, you're losing a good franchise that's that's been a great part of your league. Yeah, it's a dual-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's great for the game. Can't forget Nashville in there too, mm-hmm. um, and what they're doing. So, 
I, I think it's great for us as an organization. Now, not, not, I think it's good to keep in mind that not every team comes to USL or USL Division Three or even the PDL to some degree saying, we want to go for, to MLS. And, um, that doesn't happen. It's a very few that really exist in those conversations. And mm-hmm. maybe those conversations based on some teams' performances start afterwards. But um, I don't see it as a downside. I really don't. I think we, we talk about opportunity. We talk about progression. We talk about development. Um, and we also talk about you know building the game in this country. And part of that story is what UFL has been able to do over the years with whatever, Seattle, uh, Vancouver, Montreal. Uh, you know, you look through the five or six teams that came before Orlando, I think actually Orlando was fifth. But the teams that come after that, I mean, they've all paved the pathway of if that opportunity is there, maybe that move becomes an option. But more importantly, what they've done is prove a model and what their focus was. You know, it was getting into the market, making sure the brand was strong, making sure they connected with supporters, making sure that, you know, it was affordable and continuing to move through these obstacles that maybe their predecessors encountered before them um, when launching professional sports teams. And it, the challenges changed every year. And, you know, when I grew up, I'm certainly not young, um, we didn't have social media. You didn't have direct access to clubs. And so now there's this abundance of information out there. So how do you wrangle all of that into telling the right story to giving people the access to the teams that they want? And so why teams, yes, will move to MLS, absolutely, and some will not. Um, we're certainly growing into new markets with USL Division Three. Who knows? Down the road, you'll maybe see a USL Division Three team move up to Division Two, and that's their goal. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting for us to see this new phase that we're entering. And a lot of that marked today was the announcement of our rebrand. Yeah, can you just get into your rebrand a little bit and, and what some of the thoughts were behind this and, and what kind of... Um, you know, sort of long-term goal this uh, this will help you guys achieve? Well, sure. If you look at USL over the years, it's, I mean, how many leagues have we operated effectively? And there was really this, there was a missing piece, I would say, and that was something that would tie them all together other than just the term USL. And so, you know, what, when we looked at it, it was a lot about unifying the structure. Um, and, per, you know, all these leagues were at different levels and the stories that they tell. So when you really look at you know, the USL championship, it's, that is the pinnacle of the system, uh, whether it's the playing on the field or the passion in the stands, that's what it all drives to. When you look at USL League One, uh, which is exciting for me personally, <laughs> not, not to make it personal, but um, it's exciting to see that. We knew that launching USL Division Three, uh, that that was a temporary placeholder for us and purely positional by name. Uh, so it would be built on the foundation of USL and a new division. So to have that identity coming out for the first time um, is exciting. And then you also look at what the PDL has been over the years. Everyone knew USL owned and operated the PDL, which is the preeminent pre-professional league in the country. And sees astonishing numbers of players that have come through the ranks there that have moved into coaching or playing professionally domestic or internationally. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I think our MLS super draft numbers last year were over 80% of the players drafted in the multiple rounds. So awesome to see that in the existence of the league, it continues to remain the, the highest level non or pre-professional opportunities in the summer. So there was a, a connection that needed to be elaborated upon and built. And with this new structure, we're able to do that. 
um, but still be able to maintain the strength of the identities that were existing um, and those that needed to be launched. So one of the questions that a, a lot of people have, uh, you know, the, the U.S.-centric soccer fan, not quite so much, but apparently, you know, people that grew up maybe watching the English Premier League, obviously La Liga, uh, Bundesliga, they all want to know about, you know, they talk about it all the time. Sometimes uh, there are crazy tinfoil um, theories and that kind of thing. Uh, of course, is promotion relegation is a very um, mm-hmm. touchy subject with some people. Can you just talk about the challenges that are involved with, with you know, converting to that kind of system and, and whether or not, you know, those types of discussions have been held in terms of, you know, now that USL is, is, is a multi-division, um, you know, series of leagues, uh, you know, what what, uh, what has been talked about and, and what are the challenges involved? Uh, the, the challenges are actually probably the easier part to identify. Um, and really, when you look at just based on the professional league standards that were issued by U.S. soccer, and um, hopefully this, what I'm about to tell you isn't redundant because I know we've talked about it a lot, but to the point where there are criteria in place, whether it's ownership network standards to stating capacity to uh, front office sizes, you know, and um, even down to certain um, divisions have a criteria for time zones, uh, which comes into play. So beyond that, you get into league capacity restraint constraints, such as 75% of the markets in, in uh, division two have to be, and, you know, markets of 750,000 or greater in the MSA. And so when you start to really look, there are some thresholds that will have to be addressed. And if a Division three owner um, for League One has to have a minimum net worth of $10 million, and that figure is $20 million in Division II, um, that's the first one our ownership will see, is if you have that ability to promote or to move up, well, that's a $10 million difference, at <laughs> least at minimum, yeah. um, in ownership. So. You've got to figure that out. Does that mean a new ownership comes in? Does that mean it's a, a different person and how those ownership percentages can change and um, how that can all work out? But then you also have, you know, a minimum stadium capacity. So for USL Division Three, which I will use just for the term of this interview, move forward probably League One, uh, just for the sake of the conversation, um, it is, you know, the federation set the minimum at 1,000 where we elevated it to 3,500 based on business model and where we want to see our game day atmospheres and organization. Um, but at that, at Division Two, it's 5,000. Well, you know, in USL, they're already pushing the stadiums of 10,000 and beyond. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a stadium of 3,500 to 5,000, you really need to start looking at an increased occupancy capability in a stadium. So what does that construction or modification look like? That's not an easy lift. Um, those are the easy things. Um, I don't think the more recognizable, the other you start to look at is, franchise valuations and how those can change. Um, you look at, you know, ownership, what the owners may think, and I'm certainly not speaking for them right now, but if you look at, um, you know, USL franchises are trading on the um, private sector at uh, three, four, five times the franchise um, fees. So that's phenomenal to see that people are seeing that value long-term there. Um, but how does that apply to, if you have a bad season on the field, having to move down to a league. So, you know, there's a lot of that movement questions that are in place. There certainly aren't parachute payments or um, massive TV deals that are lending to some assistance. They like to see in other leagues around the world. I think maybe that part can get forgotten. 
<laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, if you have a, you know, a eight figure check that shows up at the end of the year to help you, that makes a difference. And so there are a lot of things, but it's certainly a conversation that's continuous for us. And um, some of our owners like to talk about it. Some people, we just like to try to figure out the future and we know the fans are interested in it. So, you know, sometimes it's formal meetings. Sometimes it's uh, water cooler chats and, you know, we start to try to figure out what's going on and where we want to go down the road. And we're not certainly sitting back and waiting on that. It's, uh, you know, as we look at the long-term vision of the league, what the league wants them to be and what our ownership wants it to be. So we continue to have those discussions. Great. Well, I can tell you, Orlando City fans um, four years ago probably would have been in favor of promotion relegation. <laughs> and today, not so much. <laughs> um, well, you know, they, they, those years come and go, right? It, yeah. Hopefully. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you certainly looked at that, and uh, I've been on both sides of that. Right? When your team's doing great, and, and there are years when you just every game's lost by one goal or two, and it's always in the 90th minute, and you're, you know, it, that's from the fan side, that can be gut wrenching to see this out. It can affect you. So, um, I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, one team we're very familiar with here in Orlando, the longtime uh, Orlando City fans, is the Richmond Kickers, who uh, were announced as a, mm-hmm. a founding member at the, the Division Three level for the USL. Um, w- was that just a decision on, on Richmond's part that they weren't going to compete in the, the so-called arms race uh, with, with some of the clubs that were spending big, and they just want to keep a nice community soccer club that's that's a little bit more affordable? What, what kind of went into those conversations? Well, I, I, I remember properly, we looked back, and a lot of it was for long-term stability of the club and um, looking at the direction where they want the club to go. And I, I'm thrilled. I mean, I've since I've been at USL in 2010, I've seen the kickers make great runs in the Open Cup, go undefeated throughout the regular season, and, um, and really set some records in the league. So I'm thrilled to see a club like the kickers make the move to USL Division Three and, and go from there. And I, I think they're – I rekindle some great rivalries. Uh, you know, they've had some players that have come through their ranks have done a great job, even with their MLS affiliation they had at the time with DC United and seeing some phenomenal goalkeepers come to the league. So with that move, it, it, going back to that, I believe uh, their ownership was extremely uh, upfront about this is all about the long-term vision of our club and where we want it to go. And I think that's a, you know, USL Division Three can benefit from that. So the USL, we've seen it explode in terms of number of teams over the last several years. How big do you envision Division Three getting? How many teams do you think this would maybe cap out at? Hundreds. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's way too crazy. It, it'll, be, it'll mimic a lot of the modeling you'll see at USL um, right now. With that, right in that range of 30 to 40. And, you know, once we're, we'll see a, some good growth here in the next couple of years and but we're very selective about the markets that we're working in and the individuals we're working with because we want to make sure that this league is strong from day one. And I think if you look at our existing team ownership, we've done a great job with that. And we're, we're thrilled, especially with a couple of announcements coming up. So, yeah, I like we'd like to see this league, you know, 30 to 40 team range. And then look at what we've developed in the United States with MLS continue to increase their numbers. USL in that 30 to well, actually mid to high 30s range as they want to approach that 40 number. And then you have, you know, USL Division three and at the same. So you really are looking at a tremendous professional soccer structure in this country um, that provides not only great opportunities for identifying that next star that maybe, maybe need to come up through the ranks a little bit longer than 
someone that's 18 or 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exciting. That's what we're doing. So to be really be on the forefront of that, um, it's just an amazing time right now. One of the things that I'm I'm interested in that probably a lot of our listeners are not is uh, the Canadian Premier League. Actually, um, have there been any discussions of, of a cup or maybe a you know a, a like sort of a championship game between uh, the the D3 and the and the, um, or the USL at any level and, and the Canadian Premier League? I couldn't say no. I mean, if it's happened, I haven't been a part of it, but it, that doesn't really mean much. It's just a matter of a. <laughs> You know, I think we're focused on getting the league launched properly in 2019 and, you know, USL again moving um, into the championship for 2019. And but we've already been pretty open about discussing an interleague competition between um, what would be Division Two and Division Three at that time. And, and that's going to be exciting for us. I mean, no, our guys are already working on what type of structure that looks for, how many games would that add to a team schedule. So then we have to start looking at scheduling windows because then you're looking at teams that will play in the U.S. Open Cup, the uh, League Cup, um, and then League itself. So maybe we see a treble winner in the future. I don't know. Um, but that would be exciting to see. Yeah, that would be great. Stephen, before we let you go, uh, hypothetical, if I were to slip you a crisp Benjamin Franklin, could you maybe make Atlanta United 2 go away? <laughs> it would take at least two. Okay, well, I'll, 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 hit up my, uh, I'll hit up my my mainland uh, staffers and see if we can make that happen. <laughs> well, you know where my address is. But I think the exciting part is, you know, I, I came up for, I was in Orlando for the last time Atlanta was in town, and um, just a rocking atmosphere downtown, and it was amazing. And what a beautiful stadium. The, the fan groups, and I mean, it's just a first-class atmosphere. And I love it. And I can't wait to see what type of atmosphere the club builds out of Montverde. So when teams in USL, you know, uh, Division Three and Slash League One come to town in March, what that's going to look like. And so I can't wait to get out to the game. Well, we can't wait to, for OCB's return either. Stephen Short, USL Senior Vice President of Division Three. thank you so much for, for being with us and, and being generous with your time here on the podcast this week. Where can people find out more about Division Three online? Well, as of right now, uh, until we completely make that brand transition, USLD3.com. Um, you can follow us there on Twitter. Uh, or if you even want to follow my travels when we start looking at new markets for expansion or just what I do throughout the day, which – Sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's what you'd expect. USL Steven on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steven. And uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing you out at OCB games. Thank you. And uh, we'll make sure to catch up when I fill up. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you, guys. All right, big thanks to Stephen Short, uh, USL Senior VP for D3, for being with us. Uh, it was uh, great to talk to him, and um, now at least we know how much money it would cost us to make Atlanta United 2 go away. Dave, 200 bucks, uh, says Stephen. Uh, are you in? I am in. Uh, as a matter of fact, a bonus check coming next month. I can do 200 uh, if it'll make it happen. Awesome. Let's get rid of them. Uh, then we'll set our sights on the MLS side and uh, get rid of them, and then our job will be done. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, so it's mailbag time. Uh, We have uh, two ways you can get to us. Uh, You can ask us literally anything 
just like if you were on Reddit in a, in a you know in an AMA sesh with somebody. Sure. Uh, you can. Wouldn't it be an AUA for us? Well, it would for us, but I'm talking about Reddit. Okay, fine. So their thing is an AMA, and everybody knows what that is. So uh, give us a shout. You can do it two ways. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at the mainland, and you can use that hashtag AskTMLPC. Or you could do it the old-fashioned way and email us at themainland at gmail.com. We have two questions this week, uh, one via the email, one via the Twitter, as we uh, have the best of both worlds here. And uh, we've got uh, Ryan Smith hitting us up on Twitter. And uh, he's been asking some good questions. He's got a question for us this week that I think you might have an answer to, Dave. I'll go for it. So... Basically, what uh, Ryan wants to know is if uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and LeBron James and Bryce Harper all suddenly became available and, uh, you know, quit their jobs and wanted to play soccer, who would you select and for what position? Hmm. Uh, Gotta help the ailing Lions. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with LeBron. And the reason why is we know he's willing to leave cities, and so maybe he'll come to ours instead. Uh, we know he's left other cities to go to Florida, so there's that. Mm-hmm. And he's a pretty big dude. I'm going to put him on the back line, center back, uh, so that he can uh, help that defense of ours. Yes, yes. Um I would like to also select LeBron, although I really wouldn't select any of them because I don't know if any of them can play soccer. Okay, that's fair. Uh, if, if in Ryan's scenario that we absolutely have to select one, uh, I would also go with LeBron. But I would put him, again, sticking with the defensive theme, I put him in goal because he's a really big dude. He's really athletic. He can jump really high. Mm-hmm. He can probably move side to side really good. Got a big wingspan. Uh seen him reject uh, the basketball so I, I i would assume he could do the same to a soccer ball and uh so that's that would be my uh my suggestion and plus you know the lions could use help at that position so why not uh, stick lebron old bron bron between the pipes let him use his hands is what you're saying yeah yeah i don't know if he can use his feet i mean i've never seen that's him very good point very good point <laughs> all right okay uh thanks for the question ryan smith and uh, we now turn our attention toward uh, the email portion of our uh, mailbag. Uh, friend of the pod, Lee Gavlik, of course, um, would like to ask us a question. He says, Dave, uh, he didn't say Dave. He was like, addressing both of us. What's your go-to meal when ordering Chinese takeout? Good Ooh, question, Lee. Chinese takeout. Um, okay, for me, it's, um, it's a double thing. So it's either shrimp or chicken fried rice paired with the opposite of either shrimp or chicken lo mein. So I like the fried rice. I like the lo mein and I'll switch it up between the shrimp and the chicken. Um, and I do like the soy sauce. So you, you're going heavy on the carbs, heavy on well, the Well, given how much I order Chinese, I figure because it's rarely, I, I might as well go ahead and do it all in. All right. Well, that's fair enough. I am a, I'm a big fan of the Chinese food. We have two places that we frequent, one that uh, delivers and one that does not. And when we when we're feeling up to uh, going and getting it, uh, we I usually go with the uh, chicken with broccoli uh, with some steamed white rice. And I usually hit it up with uh, 
some spicy garlic sauce and, uh, you know, forego the usual brown sauce okay. that comes with it. Um, and it's very tasty. Mm -hmm. I like it quite a bit. And then uh, when we get it through this other uh, local establishment that Uber Eats uh, delivers to our door, uh, I like to go with the General Tso's chicken. Uh, it's, uh, it's tasty, and I think it's really uh, different places, I think, have different specialties that they're that they really knock out of the park and that's what i, I have found for these two that's days. a fair assessment uh of course yours are a little bit healthier than mine but like you said if you uh if you frequent them more than i do then mine's more of a special treat i would say yeah i don't think, yeah, I don't think mine are very healthy either <laughs> probably the, not. The, the garlic sauce is probably just swimming in uh, various oils and, and bad things <laughs> and then the the general sauce chicken is deep oh, okay, fried, yeah, so come on. Enough. yeah nitrates ab <laughs> nitrates abide yeah. So uh, thank you, Lee, for the question. Remember, you don't have to ask us about soccer, but you can. Uh, you can ask us anything, and you can do that uh, at themainland at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at themainland, hashtag AskTML. We just like answering questions. We do. And we also like getting five-star reviews what? on iTunes. Well, we yeah, do. no, we I like know that, that. But does that mean that we got some? We got two Woo! this week. Two more five-star reviews. Loving the five-star reviews, guys. Keep them coming. And, of course, if you write something nice nice about us, we will uh, certainly, um, you know, read them on the air and, 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 you know, give you full credit. So Thursday, we got uh, a five-star review from CB the Great 35 That's the name uh, on here. Uh, five stars. Positive take on a tough time. Thanks for liking our hometown team, even though they don't always like us back. <laughs> well, thank you, CB, with an awesome name, by the way. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough season, but, um, you know, like we said earlier, uh, laugh or cry, so we might as well laugh. Yes, um, I'm not sure CB the Great is an awesome name. So it I'm is a great name. name. You're, you are correct, sir. Uh, thank you for that. I'm not sure that the team doesn't always like us back. They just don't always hmm. reward us. That's a very good distinction. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. They might love us. They just aren't showing it with like goals <laughs> and like preventing the other team from scoring goals. Uh, that would be uh, a for, really nice step. Perhaps in the right it's, direction. it's our, our, our fault. We haven't communicated what our, our yeah, desires our are for the team. Yeah, it's our fault or, yeah, our, you or know. one or the other. Um, okay, so thank you, CB the Great 35. Uh, inside Job, uh, possible Bond okay. villain, not sure. Inside Job hit us up on Saturday, says stupendous stuff, five stars, 10 out of 10 podcast, more off topic talk about beer and non soccer related things, please. Maybe tell a riddle at the end of every episode, just spitballing here. Keep up the good work, fellas. Thank you, Inside Bond Job. Bond villain, eh? Could be. I mean, there was odd jobs, so maybe inside Could jobs. Be. Although I did mention riddles, so perhaps it's a Batman thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Riddler is. He is at indeed. Large. Yeah. Regardless, um, I don't know if, uh, given the length of the typical podcast, if we could go off on too many tangents without, you know, really harming the listeners. <laughs> they're already being harmed by their favorite soccer team so i don't know what more damage we could do but these are pretty long and i can tell you the the thing about jokes and riddles and limericks and all these things is i'm too old to remember <laughs> them anymore okay hey, that's fair how about this um 
we will think of maybe something to lighten up things in between segments. Yeah, we can work. Yeah, we, sure. we can tr- we can we okay, can try and think of something to work on something. Yes, but I do like the idea of uh, more beer Ooh, talk. Yes. It did happen to uh, did happen to stop at Sanford Brewery, uh, Sanford Brewing um, on Sunday, and uh, oh, flight, nice. So yes, it's uh, of course it's Marzen time of the year right now, so uh, I've been trying different Marzens as I've been able to acquire them. Yes, for the non. Um, technical people that's uh, yes, an October, October sorry a fest beer an October fest beer yes um, so but yeah I mean it it's not hard to get Michael and I to talk about beer that's right especially if your brewery sponsors Ooh. the mainland podcast I would be happy Sanford Brewing to talk about your um, pretzel with beer yes cheese. or uh, anybody <laughs> or a brewery or anybody yeah. at all for that matter um, I mean if you, if you think we're that's nice right. to the uh, five star review people imagine if you gave us money Imagine, indeed. Imagine if anyone would give us oh. money. Uh, all right, Dave. You know what? That's crazy. We don't have a game this weekend. No Orlando City game, so everybody can relax. You're not going to lose this weekend. Nothing to be nope. nervous about. Um, the team is off. We have no key predi- no key matchups, no predictions for you. You're not going to lose any money by wagering Ooh. on what we say. And we don't we don't get to be – we're yeah. not going to be wrong. <laughs> well, wait, I mean, wait. Let's we're not, not going to be wrong crazy. about that. That, yeah, that's one yeah. less thing to be wrong about. Uh, okay, so that will do it for episode 143. Again, <laughs> inside joke. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll be back next week to uh, talk about whatever comes up between now and next time we record and next week we will have key matchups and predictions for a trip to fc dallas another chance to get a goal against the texas mls it would be really cool if it happened although let's be fair i'm not exactly expecting it because we're going on the road and that has not been good for us this season i i also would like it to be a little bit longer in between recordings maybe a week um, you, I, well, you it's worth a try. All right. Well, we'll see what happens next week. They, you know, they they haven't been good on the road, but on the other hand, <laughs> they haven't been good at home. <laughs> they're consistent. It's, uh, it's just they're, that well, kind they're of consistent. Yes, cons- <laughs> yes, they are, no. but not in a good way. Um, all right, folks, that will do it. Episode 143 in the books. Please read our stuff at themainland.com. We write very hard, as as do all of our uh, staffers at themainland.com. Uh, we, we work very hard to bring you content uh, on your favorite team, regardless of how much they hurt you. Um, and uh, you can like us on uh, Twitter, uh, or like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at the mainland. Go to facebook.com slash themainland. Always spell main like a lion's mane. And, uh, you know, uh, subscribe on iTunes if you're not a subscriber and, uh, you know, write us a five star review. We'll read it oh. on the air. But that well, almost they can also follow you at Mainland Michael and me at Mainland Dave. They could. They really could. I'm not That's saying they should. I'm just saying of, they could. One of the many things they Yes. All right. Uh, well, why don't we get out of here? We do want to thank once again Stephen Short uh, from the USL uh, you know, he's the senior VP of the division three, uh, and, um, enjoyed talking to him. It was great. And, uh, looking forward to OCB kicking back up, 
again next year and uh, being part of that uh, inaugural USL D3 season up at the, the Montverde Academy. Uh, that will do it. We'll sign off uh, the way I always do. Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, on behalf of David Rowe, signing off the way I always do by saying, Go City and Go Pride. <laughs>